John 8, 12. Jesus spoke and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Today we have the incredible honor of beginning our Advent season. The first candle we always light is the candle of hope. The reason we do that is because Jesus is our hope. And I think it's so timely that we can talk about this today because I don't know what Thanksgiving was like for you this year. I hope it was a time of joy, a time of fun. But at the same time, I'm very well aware that sometimes Thanksgiving can, can bring with it some pain. Maybe there's an empty seat at the table, whether by someone who's no longer with us or maybe just someone who isn't in our lives anymore. Maybe there, there's some pain of, of family fractions and things going on, relational dysfunction in your life. Whatever it may be, I often find at Thanksgiving I'm reminded of some of the facts that not only is there joy in life, but there's also some brokenness. And what I love about our God is we don't have a God who simply saw us in our brokenness and said, all right, let them figure it out. Let them clean themselves up and then come to me. We serve a God that saw us in our brokenness and our dirtiness and our hopelessness and said, I'm going to go to them. I'm going to send my son down to die on a cross for them so that we can have relationship together. And so today, as we start the Advent season, we begin with the candle of hope. Because we serve a God who gives us hope in every circumstance. Father, thank you for your son. As we begin celebrating the Advent season, God, we pray that the time leading up to Christmas, the four or five weeks that we have, would not be the only time that we're thankful for the gift of your Son. God, we pray that you would forgive us for those moments where after Christmas we put everything back in the box and we don't really celebrate Jesus until the next time around. God, we pray that all year long, the hope of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, and the person of Jesus would be emanating in our hearts in such a way that it changes every one of our days. But God, today especially, thank you for hope. Thank you for love. Thank you for who you are. We celebrate you in Jesus. We praise your name today. We're so excited for how you're working in this place. And God, as we open up your word today, we pray that it would shape us, it would mold us, it would cut us, it would heal us, and it would make us look more and more like Jesus. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, it was one Thanksgiving dinner when little Billy was over at Grandma's house. This is his grandma on his father's side, and he's talking with this grandmother who's a very religious, churched woman, and all of a sudden, grandma starts talking to to little Billy and, and talking about the Bible and about thankfulness, and somewhere along the way, she tells him, listen, do you know where we come from? And she begins telling him the story of Adam and Eve and the story of the Bible, and little Billy stops her and says, hey... Um, actually, 
That's not what I heard. See, mom already told me where we came from. And grandma kind of gives her daughter-in-law kind of a scowl for a moment. And she says, well, uh, yeah, mom told me that we, you know, we evolved through millions of years and we evolved from monkeys. Grandma kind of looks for a moment, gives another kind of dirty look at her daughter-in-law and puts her hand on little Billy's, little Billy's head and says, oh, honey, she was just telling you about her side of the family. You know, Thanksgiving is a time where we get to get around family. Sometimes there's amazing joy, but sometimes in family there's hurts, there's little snide remarks, there's little jabs. Sometimes at Thanksgiving you get done and you're like, wow, I am so thankful I don't have to see that person for another year. But no matter what your family looks like, the fact is, whenever we get ourselves into a room with other people, whether it's a family gathering whether it's work, whether it's a neighborhood, there always seems to be opportunities for conflict. You ever notice that? seems like any time that we get together into rooms and into relationship, there's always opportunities for moments where things don't go according to plan, where maybe we don't really want to be around people quite as much as when we first started. And what I love is that Jesus gives us a model for how to walk with people, how to love people well, even in the moments when we don't feel like loving them. Even in the moments when things aren't going super well, Jesus has a different way for us today. Fact is, pretty much any time that we have a natural reaction to something, Jesus has a different way that he wants to invite us into. Problem is, we don't always like that way, do we? Kind of like the two little kids that were arguing over a toy one day and mom came over and said, okay guys, listen, we just got back from church. We, we need to be like Jesus. And I think what Jesus would do is he would share his toy with his brother and say, here, you take it first. To which one of the brothers turned to the other and said, okay, you be Jesus. That's kind of how we are sometimes when it comes to relational conflict with people. We're like, hey, why don't you act more like Jesus? Why don't you love a little more? But when it comes to us loving people, man, it gets kind of hard. And that's what I want to talk about today because I think it's so incredibly important. In 1 John 4, Jesus said, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Jesus would later say that his disciples would be known by how they love one another. In another passage in Luke, he says that those who have been forgiven of much will forgive others of much. Fact is, the closer we get to Jesus, the more that we understand how forgiven we are and loved we are by Him, the more we're going to be able to love other people well. And in Matthew chapter 5, there, there's a, a passage called the Sermon on the Mount. This section of the sermon is what I like to call the flippy floppy section, because it sounds fun. But also because every single phrase in here, every single paragraph begins with this phrase... You've heard it said, but. 
Almost every single moment in here, Jesus begins with the phrase, you have heard it said. The the conventional wisdom of the day is, but. And so I want to read this with you today in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says this, he says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Then he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus is going to talk about several things in this passage, but it all relates to how we love people well. How we love those people who have insulted us, rejected us, hurt us. And today I want to talk about this a little bit. I want to, I want to take a look at the, the three keys that Jesus talks about here. And the first one is this. Turn your cheek. In Matthew 5 we just read, But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now what is Jesus talking about here? Is this his personal philosophy on self-defense? What what, what exactly does he mean here? Does he mean if somebody's in a dark alley coming at you, you're supposed to let them hit you and then let them hit you again? What what does he mean by this? Well, The thing is, there's a key phrase we have to look at here. He says, If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now it's very, I think it's very, very key. Because he said, why does he specifically say the right cheek? Because in that day, and even today, majority of people are right-handed. And generally speaking, most things were done with the right hand. And so, if you think about it for a second, if you were to slap somebody like this, what side of the face are you going to hit them on? Okay, I was going to bring somebody up if we didn't quite get it, but I guess we got it. Okay, okay, good, good. You hit them on the left side. So if I'm hitting somebody with my right hand, how am I going to be able to hit them on the right side of their face? My back hand. The fact is, in that day... A backhanded slap was a form of insult. It was a form of disrespect. Much like it is today, it was this gesture of insult, of disrespect towards the person. What Jesus is talking about here is those backhanded moments when people insult you, when people stab you, when people say things to you that are untrue, that are unkind. 
This was the ultimate sign of disrespect towards a person. And naturally, our natural bent in life is that when someone backhands us, when someone insults us, when someone attacks us, when someone does something that's unfair, when they attack our character, when they say something that is horrible to us, that's mean, that's selfish, our natural bent is what? To retaliate. When somebody does that, and that's why Jesus is talking, you have heard it said. You've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You want to throw insults? We'll play catch. You're going to catch these hands. Like, the natural bent of our life is that if somebody does something to you, you do it back. And Jesus is very clear. That's natural. But what Jesus says over and over again is that I have come to give you life and life to the full. I have come not to give you the same life you've always had, but I've come to give you something better and something different. And so what Jesus is saying here is I'm going to give you a different way and in this day what he's saying to them sounds just as weird as it does to us today when somebody insults you when somebody stings you when they hit you backhandedly turn the other cheek it says in first peter 2 that jesus is the ultimate model of this says when they hurled their insults at him jesus he did not retaliate when he suffered He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. When Jesus was beaten and backhanded, what he knew was that the judgment belonged to someone else. Elsewhere in the Bible, God says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Because the fact is, when we try to handle stuff ourselves, doesn't work out very well but God is the ultimate judge and he's the one who will take care of it in the end then he continues on in verse 41 saying if anyone forces you to go one mile go with them two miles now in this day the Roman government was the overarching authority and believe it or not The Jewish people were not overly happy about an occupying force ruling their country. I don't know if you can imagine that for a moment. But they weren't overly excited that there was this conquering empire that was enforcing all their rules on them. And one of the rules that they enforced was that you as an average person, the average Jewish person sitting around doing their thing, going about their life, working in their field, walking on the street, could suddenly be grabbed by a Roman soldier and told, hey, I need help with my pack. You're going with me a mile. And it was according to, to, the, to the law of the day that a Roman soldier could take an average citizen and make them march their pack for one mile. Like imagine for a moment, you're at work, you're doing your thing, you got stuff, you got bills to pay, you got a lot of stuff going on in your life, and all of a sudden an armed sh- soldier shows up and goes, hey, Need you to walk a mile with this heavy pack on. And then you go a mile. Now you're a mile out of your way. And you got to go a mile back. So that's two miles. Quite a bit of time out of your day. Possibly some things that have missed out on. Possibly some things in your work that you've missed. All because some guy who shouldn't even be here in the first place decides he's too lazy to carry his pack. Can you feel that anger for a second? Can you feel that injustice? 
that every single person that's hearing Jesus felt that. They felt this anger, this injustice. This was a very real thing to him. Everything Jesus is talking about here would just poke a button. And Jesus says, if he wants you to go one mile, go with him too. He says, if somebody wants to take your shirt, give him your coat also. Jesus is painting this picture of being wronged, being backhanded, being stolen from, and turning around and actually giving more. You can imagine how this would just be melting people's minds for a second. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I get the don't hurt people. I get the don't murder people. But now you're saying going even a step further and giving them more? Then Jesus continues on. And he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He says, you've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's just natural, right? Love your neighbor. Love those people who are close to you. But, whoo, hate your enemies. That's natural. But Jesus says, no, I want you to love your enemies and pray for them. See, the thing is, the, the word enemy here is a broad term that means anyone who mistreats you. Quick side note, it's anyone who mistreats you, not anyone who disagrees with you. Something in our our world I think we do a lot is we make enemies out of anyone who disagrees with us. But he's talking here about people who mistreat you. In John 4, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This word love that's used here, if you don't know, there's multiple words in the Greek language that mean love that are used in the Bible. It's actually quite interesting to look that up. Love is one of those words, when, you, when you're reading in your, your Bible, I, I encourage you to look up, use Blue Letter Bible or, or another resource and find out what word the word love is when you're reading it. It's quite interesting. But in this moment, <clears throat> the word that's being used is the word Agape. This is the highest form of love. This is the most selfless form of love. This is the, for God so agape the world that he sent his son down to die on a cross. This is the ultimate form. This is the Jesus love. The ultimate form of what it means to love someone, of laying down your life. And here, it says to love others. Because this love comes from God, and it says whoever does not love <clears throat> doesn't know God. Which implies the opposite, that if I'm going to be able to love like this, I have to know God. See, naturally, I am not going to give people agape love. I, I Naturally, I'm not going to give people forgiveness. Naturally, I'm not going to love my enemy It's not natural. That's why Jesus says, you've heard it said, because it is what's been said. It is common practice. It is probably a pretty good moral standard to say, hey, let's try to love people that we like and hate our enemies. That's pretty good. But we don't serve a God of pretty good. We serve a God of amazing and incredible. And so Jesus takes it a step further to love our enemies And this only comes when we've experienced the agape love of God that we can give that agape love to people that we don't like. 
As Jesus said, what, what benefit is it if you love people who like you back? But how much greater is it when we can love people who we don't like, who don't like us? When we can love people who have hurt us, who have mistreated us? So how do we love our enemies well? Well, I want to look at Luke 6.28, which is the parallel to this passage. It's said a little bit different way in the Gospel of Luke. <clears throat> Luke says it this way. He says, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. The first thing we do is we bless them. We bless our enemy. We, the word bless here means to speak well of. It's the same root word that we would get the term eulogy. To speak well of somebody. To speak kind things into their life. You know, we live in a world today where, where the common phrasing that, that I've often heard when I was growing up is, if you don't have something nice to say about someone, don't say anything at all. And that's a pretty good standard. Well, just like an eye for an eye is a good standard. But I, I, would take it, I would take it a little bit differently when we're doing things the Jesus way. If you don't have something nice to say about someone, find something nice to say about them. Fact is, I've had multiple times in my life where God has convicted me. Moments where <clears throat> I just didn't like certain people. And God just kept convicting me and going, listen, I loved you and you were far from me. How are you going to love them well? What nice thing are you going to say about them? And sometimes it was, I, I like your shoes. About all I had. But there's something in that moment of finding something. I'm going to find some way to bless you to speak good things into your life. Because the fact is, the more good things I speak into your life, the more it's going to change you. See, the thing is, the second thing that this verse says is to do good to them. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Romans 12, it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is as, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do good things to them. Love them. Bless them. Do good things in their life. There, there's an old quote that says, If you treat a man as he appears to be, and you make him worse... But treat a man as if he already were what he potentially could be, and you make him what he should be. If you treat a man as he appears, you'll make him worse, more of what he appears to be. But if you treat him as what he could be, he'll reach his potential. fact is, if you treat someone like they're a jerk, probably going to keep being a jerk. But if you treat them in a way that says, listen, I know you have potential to be a kind and loving person. It's amazing what God can do with that. And finally, how we love our enemies is we pray for them. Now some of you may be thinking, yeah, I can think of some good prayers. You know, Father God, I, I pray for the fleas of a thousand stray dogs to invade their underwear in the name of Jesus. Right? That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about praying for God to bless them. Ultimately, praying that they would know Jesus. 
Because I have found in my life that any time there's conflict with me and another person, oftentimes one of us is not walking very close with Jesus. In my marriage, it's me. It means I'm normally not walking close with Jesus. That's the problem. But the fact is, any time that there's relational conflict, because the closer, if we're both walking with Jesus hand in hand, we're both close to him, what are we going to have conflict over? The thing is, anytime I have conflict with someone, there's a chance that they don't know Christ or that they're not walking with him. So that's the first thing I pray for. But I also pray for God to bless them. Man, I had a moment where God really convicted me on that and it became a spiritual discipline of mine for a specific person that I would just pray not only that God would work in their life, but I would pray, God, would you bless them? God, would you give them even more than I have? Would you, would you bless them in relationships? Would you, would you bless them in their soul and whatever things are going on, if they have hurts and pains, would you help them? And ultimately, would you help them to draw closer and closer to you and walk in a relationship with you? So Jesus says here that no matter what someone does to you, no matter how they backhand you, no matter how they hurt you, no matter what things they say to you, we're called to do things different. And Jesus has been sort of building this structure here, building throughout this passage. And it seems to get more and more ridiculous. I mean, it's more and more turning away from what the world would normally do. Turn my cheek. If somebody steals from me, give them more. If somebody wants one mile, give them two. Like it's building and it's building and it's building. And then Jesus says, listen, what does it matter if you help people who like you? If you love the people that love you back, how much greater is it to go love the people that don't love you, that hate you. How much greater is it to love your enemies? Jesus is pointing out there's this different way. There's the Jesus way. And then he puts the cherry on top with the best news in the whole entire passage. It's the absolute best news. It's my favorite part of the passage because I think it puts everything into perspective. He says this, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Does that sound like the good news to you? Let let me explain it for a second. See, 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 it's really, really, really good news. Because what Jesus is making very, very clear here is that what he's asking us to do is impossible without him. What Jesus is asking us to do to love people well is impossible without him. Everything that Jesus asked in this passage, we can't do without his Holy Spirit working in us without being changed by Jesus and his Holy Spirit. The fact is, Jesus says here, go be perfect. And if that was simply our action point, then we could just, you know, go live that out. Go be perfect. I'll see you next week. But thanks be to God, we don't serve a God that says, okay, go be perfect. 
In fact, we serve a God that's already made us perfect, it says in Hebrews 10. That by one sacrifice, Jesus, He has made us perfect forever, those who are being made holy. The fact is, the blood of Jesus is what makes us perfect. It's what makes us blameless before God. It's the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. The Bible says that we are being made holy. Jesus, through His Holy Spirit, is catching me up to the perfect position that he's already given me by the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is working on me to look more and more like Jesus. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Ezekiel 36, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Galatians 5.16, talking about biting and devouring each other in in the verse before, then says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. There is a way of handling conflict and handling people people hurting us that is natural. It's natural to hate. It's natural to harbor unforgiveness. It's natural to hit people back. It's completely and totally natural. But God doesn't come to say, listen, go do what's naturally up to you. He says, I've come to give you something supernatural. The way that we love people who have hurt us, who are our enemies, it's not natural. It's not natural to turn the other cheek. It's not natural to forgive. It's not natural to give when when we've already been taken from. It's not natural to lay our lives down for people. It's not natural to love our neighbor even when we don't like our neighbor. It's not natural, but in Christ we can have something supernatural. God says, I've come to give you life and life to the full. He says, come and be reborn by me. He says, I will give you a new spirit. I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I have come so that you can have this amazing and incredible life. I am going to give you the waters of life. God didn't come just so that we can muddle our way through our natural inclinations and try to be a little bit better, try to be a little bit nicer. God has come to give us something beyond what we could possibly think or imagine. See, we don't serve a God that says, okay, following me is just following these list of rules. Good luck. That's called religion, but relationship with Jesus is when we invite him into our life and he starts to change us. And what ends up happening is we find ourselves changing. The Bible says there's these things called the fruit of the Spirit. I've said it before, the fruit of the Spirit is not the fruit of the good Christian who shows up to church every week. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of God's Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden we start to have this love that we can't explain. This joy that we can't explain, this peace that we can't explain, this forgiveness that we can't explain. And so my action point for you today 
is this, that if you're struggling in relationships, if there's people that you're struggling with forgiveness, you're struggling to love people well, you have people who are hurting you or have hurt you, you have things that you're wrestling with today, can I just encourage you to do this? Not to go out and go, okay, well, i got to change. But instead, maybe today's the day you come before God and you say, God, I need you to change me. I need you to change my heart. I need you to work on this bitterness that I have. I need you to work on this heart of stone that I have and give me a heart of flesh. God, today's the day I give it all to you. If maybe there's something that you're holding back from God. Last week, we spoke about the Knights Templars who would be baptized with their swords sticking out of the water and how there's so many things that sometimes we will hold on to in our life and we go under the water and we say, God, this is the one thing you can't have. Maybe there's someone, a relationship, a hurt, bitterness that you're holding on to that today's the day that you let it go and say, God, I want you to take this, please, and change me. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we want to love the way that you've called us to love. We want to love our enemies well. God, when we're insulted and backhanded by others, God, we want to be the kind of people who respond like Jesus did. Turning the other cheek. Offering more when some, someone defrauds us of something that we're, we, we may even say, here's more. God, help us to be kind of the kind of people who have a radical love that doesn't make sense. Help us to be the kind of people who forgive in a way that doesn't make sense. God, help us to be the kind of people who love our enemies in a way that doesn't make sense. Who pray for our enemies in a way that doesn't make sense. God, we pray that we would be a people that, as your word says, are a a peculiar people, a different people, aliens and strangers. Father, that we would be the kind of people who love in a way that's different than the rest of the world. Help us not just to settle for good enough. God, help us to love people the Jesus way. In your precious In holy name we pray. Amen.